Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Hey, hello there. Welcome back to another episode of The Burt Not Ernie Show. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my little podcast to hopefully impart some real encouragement, blessing, favor, and just like strengthen your belief in God's promises for you because they are absolutely for you. And I want you to get the most out of God's word and God's promises. And so today um, I'm super excited about studying kind of a passage, uh, not really just a verse. We're going to look at a few different verses from Luke chapter three. And this is the part of the Bible, the New Testament, where we find some details about the just the amazing and really profound ministry of John the Baptist. He was incredible. And he had a call on his life from uh, from before he was born, from the womb. It's just amazing. So if you don't know much about John the Baptist, it doesn't take a lot of time to read what's shared about him in in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But wow, it is an encouragement. It is a blessing. I would recommend doing a little Bible study. You could even spend just like five days next week. If you're not sure what to read next week from the Word of God, you could just say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm just going to read about John the Baptist and see what God might teach you about who he is and who he wants to be in your life and who you really are according to his Word. What can you learn about those things from God's word, because I promise you there'll be something there for you. Okay, so rather than read all of it, um, verses one through 18, I'm going to read verses one through three, and then I'll skip down to verse seven and read some more. And I'm going to read from the Amplified. It's, um, as you well know from me sharing from the Amplified before, it's wordy. It's wordy for a good reason. But because it's wordy, I'm probably not going to share everything that I read in the show notes, that would be a lot. So I'll just pull out some select verses and some high points from kind of the two different directions we're going to go in this podcast. So, okay, I'm just going to start reading. And I use a really sticky gel highlighter. And so I've highlighted a lot in my Bible in this passage. So when I turn the page, if it makes sound, it's because the gel is sticky and it will, it will, you'll hear it. And I apologize for that. It really, it makes me, um, I get annoyed at myself when you hear my page turn or when you hear my dog snoring or when the trash people come and you hear that, you know, noise, it bugs me. So I apologize. I feel really bad about it. I'll try to turn the page quietly, but you're probably going to hear it. Okay. Luke chapter three, verse one through three. Now in the 15th year of emperor Tiberius Caesar's reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod Antipas was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, his son-in-law, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's the end of verse 3, so let's skip down to verse 7. 
So he, that's John, so he began saying to the crowds who were coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Okay, I just got to pause and say, can you imagine if you walked into your local church on Sunday morning and the first thing your pastor said to you was, you brood of vipers? That's, wow. I mean, that's, we don't talk like that to one another. And yet John the Baptist had such an anointed ministry and a call from the Lord. It's, um, It always blows me away. Like, I mean, how did people, how did he keep people flocking to him when he called them a brood of vipers? It really does go to show that when the Lord has his hand on you, it isn't about marketing. It isn't about strategy. It isn't about finding a way to grow your social media following or build a platform or become an influencer. We really just need to be yielded to what God wants us to do, especially anyone who has any type of a ministry. We have got to trust him with it and not spend too much time hustling to try and get it done. Uh, because if if John could have a thriving ministry that called his listeners a brood of vipers, we can trust the Lord to do exactly what he wants to do to to enable us to reach the people he wants to be reached, and it will be for his glory. Okay, so back to to what John was saying. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God that is to come? Therefore, produce fruit that is worthy of and consistent with your repentance, that is, live changed lives. Turn from sin and seek God and his righteousness. And do not even begin to say to yourselves as a defense, we have Abraham for our father, and so our heritage assures us of salvation. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children, descendants, for Abraham, for God can replace the unrepentant regardless of their heritage, with those who are obedient. Wow, John could preach, could he not? Verse uh, verse 9, even now the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. Verse 10, the crowds asked him, then what are we to do? Verse 11, and John replied, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do the same. Even some tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, Teacher, what are we to do? Verse 12, And he told them, Collect no more than the fixed amount you have been ordered to collect. Some soldiers asked him, And what about us? What are we to do? And he replied to them, Do not extort money from anyone or harass or blackmail anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were in a state of expectation, And all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Verse 16 says, John answered them all by saying, As for me, I baptize you only with water, but one who is mightier, more powerful, more noble than I is coming, and I am not fit to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit, and you who remain unrepentant with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat, that means believers, into his barn or kingdom. But he will burn up the chaff, that's the unrepentant, with unquenchable fire. Verse 18, so with many other appeals and various admonitions, John preached the good news, the gospel, to the people. Wow. Yeah, I think now you, sorry, you heard my page turn there. I think now you see why I said that John's ministry was profound profound. Amazing. I would have loved to see the looks on people's faces or just to experience even a few minutes of his teaching because this is a man who, uh, he was mighty in spirit. 
the Holy Spirit led him in his ministry. And what a gift that would be uh, for someone like me who, through just a tiny little podcast, really wants to encourage people. This is an encouragement to me. So maybe that's why I uh, really want to talk about this passage today, but I hope it's more than that. I hope it brings you a lot of encouragement as well. So first, we're going to look back at verses 1, 2, and 3. And verse 1, it is it talked about... Um, it was the 15th year of Emperor Tiberius Caesar's reign, and then explains who the Tetrarchs are. Verse 2 tells you who the high priest was. It was Annas. In some translations, it says Ananias and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So they were kind of doing a weird... Um, this is unique in what I've studied in the Word of God. I don't remember very many other times where there's like a duality among the high priest. It's like, I don't know if Caiaphas was just his right-hand man, if he was being trained to take that position, but either way, you have two people in the priesthood. So um, what this shows us is that he's explaining in depth with absolutely no wiggle room when this happened. He's showing you what time it is. I mean, Luke is a super detailed author. And so he's explaining who was in leadership in each region, politically, and then within the religious spectrum. These were, now obviously these were rough times because Rome occupied Israel. And and we obviously don't live in, I don't in America, I don't live in an occupied country. That's rough living. It's no joke. It's no joke when you're living under that. It would have been um, taxation without representation in ways that we can't even imagine. And John the Baptist had this very interesting ministry at this very unique time in Israel's history. It required so much of him, so much of him that, of course, he would have had to go through a pretty in-depth season of preparation. But when we read verses 1, 2, and 3, I really want us to think about God set the entire stage. And Luke makes it clear that God had the, sa- the stage set at this moment in time for John to step out at that moment and start his ministry. Um, so he had to have had a time of preparing. And if you know much about John the Baptist's life, you know that his parents were very old when he was born. It was supernatural. His birth was supernatural. They were far too old to conceive. Um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from before birth, which is profound. Uh, especially in the era pre-Christ when, you know, we, when you're saved now, you are, Ephesians tells us you're sealed with the Holy Spirit uh, and then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not say that about pre-Christ times. There's not indication in the word of God that all Israelites were automatically filled or sealed with the Holy Spirit. So to have the Holy Spirit from before birth, that's remarkable. He had a call in his life. Uh, We know that he lived for a time in the desert that he wore uh, camel skin clothing, that he ate locusts and honey. Um, We don't know when his parents died, but they were old when he was born. So we don't know really who raised him, what his upbringing was life, but we do know that he was kind of a, um, I guess you could say a man's man, a manly man. He had gone through seasons of preparation that were not on accident. And we might look at those and think that sounds like, that sounds like hardship. And we don't like hardship. We want things to be pleasant. We want things to be warm and cozy, so to speak. And I don't think John had a warm and cozy lifestyle. We do know that he's very close in age to Jesus. We know that Jesus began his ministry at age 30. So at this point in time, John is somewhere around 30. 
that is not the age of a man in Israel to be living in the wild, eating locusts and honey. That would be the time when you would need to, you know, you would need to be established. You would need to have a career. Um, So he probably was outside of the norm in that way as well. Like he wasn't, uh, he wasn't what you would have expected a good, solid man to be in that era per the cultural standards. So it's really important to note that, that John, he yielded to the Lord's preparing in his life. I don't see anywhere that he fought against it, right? I mean, to have, have a ministry that so much was going to be required of him meant that the Lord would have to do a work of preparation in John's life. And for the Lord to fully do the work of preparation, John would need to be fully yielded to the Lord's preparation. Look, when God's preparing us for something, it does not look the way we want it to look. We really do want to go to a conference or a seminar, and we want there to be um, coffee and uh, a spread of snacks. And the way we live nowadays, we want a fruit and veggie tray, not just like danishes and muffins. Uh, we want good coffee, too. We don't want average coffee. We want the good stuff. Climate control is a big deal. Um, Who's going to be speaking? How long will they be speaking? Blah, blah, blah. All of that kind of stuff. What are the accommodations? We even think about things like how comfortable will the chairs be? Um, What is the lighting like in the room? That is not necessarily God's chosen manner of preparing us. That's how we think we can go to that, get super comfortable and kind of be well taken care of and spoiled. Because, hey, you know, I plunked down a couple hundred bucks for this, make it worth my time, and then I'm ready. Now I'm in a posture of learning. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to learn, and then I'm going to go start my ministry, or I'm going to go continue on with a new fervor. And those those things can be very encouraging. I'm just saying we we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, that's the, that's the way we learn. This hardship thing, that's not a time of preparation. I just want that to go away. We might be missing out on something amazing because we're not yielding to the time of preparation that God has for us. And this is this is pretty clear. This is like on repeat, repeat, repeat all throughout the word of God, that those times of being prepared, whether it was Joseph in Egypt, uh, David, after he was anointing king, he went back to taking care of his dad's sheep. Um, the, the king at the time tried to kill him several times. He lived on the lamb. He had to go into foreign lands the enemy territory to live just to survive. Uh, Moses spent 40 years taking care of sheep on the backside of the desert. The, The preparation time is not always what we think it ought to be, but we can miss it. If we just see it as a hardship, we can miss what God is trying to do because we have to yield to the work of being prepared. And it is work. It's not always really good coffee, a really good Danish, the right temperature room in a really comfortable chair with um, awesome worship that I love. And uh, and by that, I mean, sometimes we want the worship leaders we want. We don't necessarily want the worship leaders that maybe God wants. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you've been in the church very long, you know what I'm saying? We want that to be how we learn. What are we missing out on if we don't ever think, wow, this is a really tough season of life. This could be a season of preparation. I'm going to lean into it and embrace it. I'm going to yield to it. I'm going to be thankful for it rather than just a hard time. Maybe this is a blessed time because it's a, a being prepared time. Okay, so, and then after after Luke tells us exactly what season it was, like historically, spiritually, who was in place, who the key players were, then it says in verse two, the word of God came to John. All right. 
So he's had this time of preparation and now the word of God comes to him. Now the word of God comes to him. Listen, so he's yielded to the Lord's preparing. People assume, people do assume at times that a call from God is all they need, right? Have you ever met anybody that knows that? Like it's, I I, I got a call from the Lord and that's all I need. And maybe they don't fully lean in to the season of preparation, um, it's not true. That's not all you need. Samson in the Old Testament, you can read about him in the book of Judges. When Samson got a call from the Lord and he had a call from the Lord, he, he kind of fulfilled his call, but man, he was so selfish. Samson was a man with a calling who rather than lean in to that preparation process and be fully equipped to thrive in his ministry and his calling, he opted to focus primarily on himself and what he wanted and what he desired. And while he did have a call from the Lord, which God, of course, honored, because God always proves true to every single promise that he makes, what we have to, we have to wonder what might things have looked like if Samson had really been more God-focused and a lot less self-focused. So we also have this option, right? That like when the word of God came to John, now he has a decision to make. What are you going to do with it when the word of God comes to you? What do you do then? A lot of us just sit on it. We just sit on it, Potsy. We just sit on it. We, we maybe haven't fully leaned in. Maybe that time of preparation has not been as important or valuable to us as it ought to have been. Um, so I do want to say that if you find yourself right now, if you're in a season like that, that feels like hardship, but might be preparation. Try not to get annoyed and don't buck God's authority. Don't be an authority bucker. Just make that decision to lean in and be a good student. Be a good student regarding what the Lord is teaching you. Because what comes next is the word of the Lord will come to you and then you get to decide what you're going to do with that. Samson decided what he was going to do with the gifts that God had given him and he used them sparingly for the purposes of the Lord. If that, if that, that's a nice way to say it sparingly. You also have John the Baptist here who, when the word of the Lord came to him, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. And he wasn't really very self-focused. He was God-focused and then others-focused, which is uh, exactly what we ought to want to be. But it's a choice. It's a choice. We have to go through that time of preparation and we have to receive the word of God when he gives it to us. And then we have to do with it what he wants. It's much easier to be like Samson to kind of over here, be doing a little bit of God's will. Yeah, that's awesome. But also I'm a focus on myself. I mean, uh, we're John Wayne, a hundred percent. A lot of the time as Westernized American Christians, and it's hard for us to undo that, to be unburdened by that, to take off that saddle and instead to put on uh, take off the John Wayne saddle and instead be yoked to Jesus and do his will, his way with what he's given you. So the word of God came to John and then chapter or verse three of chapter three, and he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he did once the word of God came to him. It doesn't tell us that he was doing that before he had the word of the Lord. I am certain he grew up um, at some point in his life before his parents died you and I both know they would have told him the story of his birth. They would have told him that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from before birth. They would have told him that they knew that he was the forerunner to the Christ. 
that that was going to be his role. He could have grabbed a hold of that and ran with it. I mean, Isaiah chapter 40, the first part of chapter 40, talks about the forerunner. Isaiah would have been well known to everyone in that community. John would have grown up knowing exactly what Isaiah chapter 40 said, and he could have, you know, leaned into early, but he didn't. He went through his season of preparation and waited until the word of God came to him. It's terribly important for us to wait until the word of God comes to us. So I have to say that regarding these first three verses of chapter three of Luke, um, so God set the stage even while he was preparing John for his ministry, which is so good for us to know. While he's doing the preparation work in you, or maybe while you feel like you're in a waiting room or you're in a wilderness, God is setting the stage. It will not be halfway set. It will be fully set when the time comes for you to move into the next thing. Uh, At the exact right time, verse 2 says, that's when the word of God came to John. John didn't have the word of the Lord before the stage was perfectly set. It came at exactly the right time. God is good at time. Please don't forget that. God is good at time. He's so good at navigating the times and the seasons of our lives. So then we move back into verse 3, and we see the decision that John made. He decided that he was going to be obedient. This is an example of really, truly excellent obedience and not delayed obedience. Listen, sometimes we know what we're supposed to do, and we put off the actual doing of it. Um, I don't think that delayed obedience is obedience. I honestly think delayed obedience is actually an excuse for disobedience. We wouldn't tolerate it from our employees. We don't tolerate it from our children. Um, Even if you have a role in a church, you don't really tolerate constant delayed obedience from your congregation. You know, if God has said, this is the direction we're going and you've got people who are just fighting against you and and then eventually, okay, I'll do it now. um, That's wearying and exhausting. And those kind of people can take a ministry and just tank it. They can really tank it. It's just discouragement spreads like wildfire, and that's discouraging. That's like discouragement 101. So delayed obedience is really disobedience. It doesn't bear the same kind of fruit as instant obedience. But John is a great example of timely obedience. When the right time came, after preparation, when the stage was set, then the word of God came to him, and then then he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching and teaching. That's amazing. And he had one singular focus, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't get sidetracked. He did what he was supposed to do. I love that. So, okay. So then it says that um, he then went, then he, well, like I just said, then he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching. I also like that God had an area for him. We live in an era where it's really easy to think of our area as both bigger and smaller than maybe God wants it to be. Our local, like real life people walking around circle of influence can shrink down so small because we spend our focus on our online presence, our social media presence. We can feel like we're making all kinds of connections. I can text somebody on the other side of the world um, and I can put something on my Instagram and then I can do a Facebook thing and I can do a YouTube live and blah, blah, blah. And I've reached all these people and I never actually looked at a real live person eye to eye. I never went lunch, you know, or coffee with somebody. I never um, wrote a note and mailed it to someone and then followed up with them with maybe a phone call. I didn't actually go to a small group at church and connect with people because maybe I don't have to, right? Do we give ourselves a pass by thinking that, 
our 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 sphere, our Jordan area, our going around the Jordan preaching area, we think it's bigger because of the online world and smaller in the real world. And maybe we need to pray about that and say, Lord, what is your choice for me? I'm not saying that we shouldn't use social media for for God's glory and to share his word. We absolutely should. I don't think anything else is more important on social media than that. Um, getting the truth of God out there for people to see. I'm always amazed. I, I really do try to listen when the Lord says, put this on Facebook, put this on Instagram, tweet this, uh, go to Canva, make an image and put it on Pinterest and pin it to that board. I am floored by the people that respond. It is never who I think it will be. It's the least likely candidates at time. And you just kind of go, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. So I think that that's what the platform is for. At least for my life, you might pray about it for yours. Uh, But we have to ask him, God, am I hiding? Am I never talking to people in real life, flesh to flesh, because I'm only focused on my online ministry? Just something to think about. John knew where he was supposed to be interacting and ministering. And it's good for us to know too. So God did set that stage and he set it for you as well. You don't have to wonder about that. And just like there was an exact moment in time for all this to take place, God has those exact moments in time all planned out for your life. Trust him with those things. So then the word of God came to John and if it came, then it was sent, right? If the word of God came to John, then somebody sent it. And that somebody is of course, God Now, I don't need to manhandle or strong arm God's word for me, and neither do you. Just let him send it, and when he does, be obedient with it. He can do that in so many ways. Somebody might, you might go to small group, and over time, somebody might become comfortable enough that they want to, that they're going to share that thing that they think the Lord laid on their heart for you. Uh, They maybe don't want to share it the first or second week, but maybe the third week they will. Guess what? You're going to miss out on the word of God for you if you're not in communication with other people. I promise you that. And when you get a word for somebody, would you please share it? We need it like we need oxygen. Please share it. If God says this Bible verse right here that you read today, that's for so-and-so, would you write it down and let them know? That's You never know in what way that might be exactly what they need. And when you read the word of God, Um, Don't read it thinking that you have to manhandle or strong arm God to give you a word every day. Instead, just be willing to hear what he has to say to you and he will send it. God will send it. You don't have to go and try to, to, you know, rustle up God's word. He's going to send it to you. He loves you so much. And when he does send it, oh, please be obedient with it. Please be obedient. Third, uh, then, then John went and he preached. Yeah. Hello. That's the way to begin a powerful ministry. Can you imagine if every ministry ran like this, started like this, had this as its foundation, its example, let God prepare you. Don't resent that season of preparation. Lean in and learn. Remember that God is setting the stage for his will to be done. Always. He's always setting the stage for his will to be done. When he sends his word to you, then go and act out of obedience, not delayed obedience, quick obedience, have feet that are quick to rush to obey the Lord. Do what he told you to do when he told you to do it. Be an obedient child of God. What would our lives look like if people around us could look at us and see, and if if what they could say about us is like, oh yeah, she's an obedient child of God. That right there speaks loudly to people who need the Lord. 
disobedience, shucking and jiving, picking and choosing what you're going to take from the word of God and what you're going to leave, that speaks nothing but hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite to people who are lost and dying and hurting, who need what God has for them. They need Jesus. You can give them Jesus just by simply living as an obedient child of God. Okay, so make up your mind about that in advance. This is a really good point. Listen, if you're not good at on-the-fly decisions or situation circumstances that crop up, if you're not good at those things, uh, there's always going to be a temptation to, uh, I don't want to say anything right now. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to, I know people who think it's just fine to not tell anybody they're a Christian ever, ever. I've heard of people who are in ministry. Like, I don't tell people that that's what I do. I don't think I should. And I'm like, well, I disagree with that. I think my whole life should point to it, but I don't, I want to have my mind made up in advance. When people say, what do you do? I can say, well, I have this podcast and it's all about the promises of God, getting the, the promises of God and the people of God, knowing who you are and knowing who you're not. Not not to buying into a bill of goods of nonsense that Satan's trying to sell. There's real freedom for people, and I want them to know that. It's not about me. It's about the other person, and it's about obeying God when he called me to embark on this journey. I want all of us to be willing to be obedient children of God, and we have to make up our mind in advance. I have found that if you're thinking about defeating temptation or shutting down disobedience quickly, It can be this easy, as easy as deciding ahead of time what you will and will not do. If you already know you don't drink, it's not going to be that difficult when people keep saying, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? I never have to wonder about that when we go to a restaurant. I don't drink. I don't need the wine list. I'm good. Thank you. No, my mind is made up in advance. Um, The same with illicit drugs, the same. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Do you know what you will and won't do? What I won't do, I'm not going to skip church all the time. That's just not me. Sunday mornings are my time to go and worship the Lord and be in fellowship with the body. My mind's made up in advance. So it's not an issue of every Sunday I don't have to think, do I go? Do I not go? No, I made up my mind in advance. A lot of our temptations and a lot of disobedience can be dealt with just like that. So make up your mind in advance when the word of God comes to you. You're going to act in obedience because it will come to you. It will come to you. As his child, he has something for you and then something to share through you to encourage other people, both people in the body of Christ and those who don't know the Lord. So make up your mind that you will do what God says to do and you won't delay in doing it. And when that word of God comes to you, it's, look, I know a lot of us don't feel super comfortable just grabbing somebody and saying, hey, I want to share this with you. I think God told me to share this with you. It can feel weird. And sometimes we're not exactly right. And so that makes you step back and go, I don't know, I'm going to do that again. That didn't go very well. I don't think I heard that right. Please don't give into that. Just know that if the word of the Lord comes to you, and it will, that it's probably not just for you. It might be sometimes, but probably not all the time. So John went out and he preached. And what do you do when you get something from the Lord? Please share it. I hope you share it. I hope you do. Always be willing to ask him and then listen for his answer of, is there anybody that this would encourage? Is there somebody I could bless with this today? Just guide me, Lord, and show me. And when you do, I've made up my mind in advance. I'm not going to disobey. I'll do it. Okay, so now you've got to jump ahead a bit. And I'm going to look at um, the three things that... It's not just that they got me thinking from this passage. I was asking myself really hard questions based on, oh, 
let's see. Let me let me look at the exact verses. I think it's where it's when the people replied to John. Um, so the tax collectors and the people and then the soldiers asked him questions about basically, okay, we're hearing you. We're picking up what you're laying down. Now, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? They wanted to make sure that they had life change. When somebody's asking you, okay, yeah, yeah, well, what do I do next? Um, don't stop talking to them. That's a good audience. That's what they call a warm audience, people that want to respond and want to grow. That's a blessing. Not every person and not every person in ministry has that. There are a lot of cold audiences out there. When you have a warm audience, wow, that's amazing. They're ready. They're ready for, it's like their heart is good soil. They're ready for you to sow good seed in it. So if someone's asking you, what do I do next? Please don't just fluff that off. Um, really be in prayer about that and be ready to give them an answer. John was ready to give them an answer. So number one, the question I, I asked myself was, what do I have that I can share today? And that's based on verse 11. Uh, John replied, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do the same. That's when the overarching whole groups of people, the crowds asked him, well, what do we do? What do I have that I can share today? That was his answer. Share what you have. Share what you have. So John's ministry was, um, was it not super cool? I mean, I think it was just amazing. He gave his listeners the super specific and exact pieces of help so that they could know what to do in their day-to-day lives with what he was telling them about the kingdom of God. We should want that too, and we should want to share that with others. We don't want anybody to think that church is a religious system, that God is uh, a far off kind of a God who's not personal, that the Bible cannot be understood, that you have to be all cleaned up before you can come to church, that things have to be perfect and in order, that uh, if you have a history of alcoholism, if your parents were divorced or you're divorced, if you know you had a baby when you were a teenager, I could go on and on. We don't want anybody to ever think the kingdom of God is not still there for them because it is that the word of God is not understandable for them. Not true. It's totally understandable. So I love that John made it doable to their day-to-day lives. Everybody can look at their life and say, what do I have that I can share today? Everybody can do that. And you don't even have to make it known. If you don't know what you have that you can share today, start here. Say, Lord, who can I pray for today? Listen quietly. Who does he bring to mind? And then pray for them. No matter what, no matter what, you can be the busiest mama of toddlers and newborns. You can be a truck driver who doesn't, uh, who isn't home and isn't, he's on the road a lot, not able to be at church all the time. Anybody can do this. Lord, who can I pray for today? Listen for his reply and then pray for that person. That's a wonderful thing. And then it'll grow from there. Question number two, am I doing my work? Or am I handling my finances, personal money, other people's money, money I handle at work, money I handle for a ministry, whatever it might be? Am I handling my work and my finances wrongly or rightly, the wrong way or the right way? And I looked at verses 12 to 13, and that is what I asked myself. Even some tax collectors came to be baptized, which is amazing. So tax collectors were Jewish people that in the time of occupation worked for Rome, the occupying country. Um, they were the ones who enforced the unfair taxation on their own people. And they usually almost always took extra and padded their own pockets. So they were like the loathed of the low. They were the lowest of the low. They were so disliked for them to come and 
be baptized and seek forgiveness and to say, what do we do now? What do we do now? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And his response to them was collect no more than the fixed amount that you've been ordered to collect. Am, am I doing that? Am I rightly handling my work? Because this was their work. Listen, maybe this isn't the work they should have done, but this is the work they were doing at that point in time when they yielded to God in this area of their life. And so at least for that time being, if God didn't call them out dramatically, they were going to keep doing the same work. They were just going to do it differently, radically different. To be a tax collector who did not pat his pockets, who only took the the fixed amount. It doesn't say the justified amount or the right amount. God understands taxation that is a burden. He understands occupation. He understands right and wrong. So he doesn't say just give the right amount, the fair amount. He doesn't say the government is always right in what it demands of us. It just says the fixed amount. Collect no more than that. Just what you've been ordered to collect. Just do your job really well and handle that money really well. Do I handle my money and my job rightly or wrongly? And the third question I saw in this passage was, am I content? Can I honestly describe myself as satisfied with my lot in life? Okay, this is based on verse 14. This is the soldiers who said, what do you want us to do? And John's answer was, just don't extort money from anyone. Don't harass people. Don't blackmail them. Be satisfied with your wages. Look, the Roman soldiers who were coming and listening, they had not grown up in the Jewish culture They would have grown up with little handmade household gods um, with a lot of, there were some things about Greek history that kind of rolled and bled right into Roman history. And so there's a lot of mythology. um, So probably occult type stuff and superstition and maybe, you know, witchcraft and mantras and um, just all kinds of things. This was very new to them. This is not like the Jewish tax collectors who'd grown up in it. This is not like the crowds of people who were Israelites who fully understood. Um, they had a great foundation in all of the Old Testament, the word of God. These Roman soldiers did not have that. So his answer to them was a little bit different. It was, um, he's telling them, can you be content? Can you do your job rightly without oppressing people, without harassing people? Can you be content with your lot in life? Are you satisfied with what God has given you in life? Are you or are you not? This is a really great, honest, introspective work. This isn't just a question you ask, roll your eyes and think, yeah, I'm satisfied. No, I'm not. Whatever. Drive on. This is work. You need to really do a deep dive in your life into your heart about this area. Do I, do I harass? Do I ever harass anybody? Do I manipulate people? Do I, what about when it comes to God? Do I try to force God's hand? Uh, Yeah. See, these three questions were pretty piercing for me. So um, I hope, I really hope that these two totally different things, the one to talk about John the Baptist and the preparation time, and then what do you do when the word of God comes to you? And, uh, and then these questions, I'll put all that in the show notes so you can look back over the questions. This is, this is deep stuff. I know this could be like a, oh, this is a heavy teaching and where's the promise in it? Well, the promise in it is that you'll be living to do God's will. You're not going to miss it. If you're willing to be obedient, you're not going to miss God's will for your life. If you're willing to say, this is a hard time, but this really could be a time of preparation. Wow, that's a beautiful place to be. Because if you believe that God is preparing you for something, then you believe that God is preparing you for something. And how great is that to say like, no, I know something's coming. There's a purpose for me. There's a purpose for me. 
And I don't know what that purpose will be, but I'm willing to be prepared and I made up my mind, I'm going to obey and be willing to ask yourself the hard questions. What do I have that I can share today? Who can I pray for today? Am I doing my work with the right attitude or wrong attitude? Am I content? Am I satisfied with my lot in life? Am I willing to act out of quick obedience rather than delayed obedience? Who am I really living for? Am I fully living for the Lord like John the Baptist obviously was? Or am I like Samson, sort of living for the Lord, sort of want to be used by the Lord for his kingdom, but also kind of self-focused and thinking about me, myself, and I, my family, my kids, my job, me, me, me. Okay, so... um. All right, this is a longer podcast than usual. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up because it was long, but thank you so much for listening. I pray this is an encouragement to you. Thank you um, for your time. And um, I would love to hear back on comments or something like when, when this lands for you. I am going to put this up on February 6th on my Podbean account, and I'm getting weird amounts of time from Apple Podcasts and Spotify as far as when it gets to them. It's supposed to be like about a 24-hour delay at most when they grab my RSS feed, and it sometimes is as many as five days. So um, if you just, like, if you know me personally, you can just let me know what day you noticed it, or um, I would just love to know because I'm not, and on the back end of things, it can show that it's there and ready to roll, and then I can have, like, my husband check, and it's not there yet. So it's very strange. So I would love help with that to try and navigate, like, is there a day of the week that's maybe less busy for Apple Podcasts and it'll get up sooner, then that's the day I probably want to be putting up my podcast because I don't like when I share that there's a new podcast up and then people are like, where is it? I can't access it. So that would be awesome if you would let me know that. And I think that is it for today. Um, I don't really have any other news other than just Lord bless you. Have a wonderful weekend if you hear this before the weekend and um, I'll be praying for you that this message from Luke chapter three is an encouragement and moves you I'm forward so glad you joined me for this episode so of the Burt Not Ernie show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.